Entrepreneurs of Capital Inc. And I'm really delighted to welcome you to uh, our keynote uh, presentation uh, during today's forum. We are privileged to have with us again, Jan Van Eck, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Van Eck Associates. Uh, Jan has been with us in the past and I'm really delighted that uh, he is going to deliver uh, a very impactful uh, and insightful presentation on uh, the topic of multi-year trends in energy transition and crypto uh, beyond Bitcoin. Very interesting topic. So Jan, the floor is yours and thank you again for being with us on this 20th anniversary of the Capital Inc. Closing Funds and Global ETFs World. Nicholas, thank you so much for having me. I'm going to share a screen now. Hopefully that, uh, that you can see that okay. So, um, I really, uh, Nicholas gave me a pretty much leeway to talk about different things today. And, and what I wanted to cover are two very important big theme issues, but also ones that pose really dramatic questions, I think, for investors. And so those are the two things I'm going to talk about, the energy transition, uh, the climate change theme, and then uh, crypto and investment opportunities there. Uh, as we start to look into 2022, I do think these themes are gonna be with us in, into next year and beyond. And so, and, and they're, really, they're really important and major and they straddle a number of different industries. So that's why I thought they were worth uh, focusing on. Uh, they, they represent, I would say, uh, extreme, extremes, extreme of value and extremes of growth. And that's somewhat what makes them difficult uh, for investors. So first of all, let me, uh, let me talk about climate change. Uh, I frankly am bamboozled by a lot of the science around climate change. So decided uh, this summer, early this summer, our first trip uh, to do what uh, one might wanna do. So you may ask Jan, what, what is this? Uh, well, this is a sustainable redwood forest about one hour's uh, flight north of San Francisco. So pretty far in, in the wilderness. And, um, you know, I say the funnest thing in our industry is ringing the bell when one launches a new ETF. But the second funnest thing for me is when I can take our, uh, one of our boards on a trip. So believe it or not, buried in the foliage here are members of our mutual fund board. And what we're trying to do is figure out what is sustainable investing, what is ESG, and what, is, um, what are the role of forests in investing? And to be honest, it was, it was quite confusing. Uh, this is a very innovative project. You can go on our website and read more about it. But how this fits into the overall picture we basically, we were talking about voluntary carbon credits. We we're basically as confused leaving the forest as when we went in. Um, and then I was lucky enough to uh, run across this book that I read, which I highly recommend for people. And uh, it's, it's written at what I call the high school level. And Bill Gates addresses really all the different components of what needs to go in for uh, for the human impact on the planet to be carbon neutral. Uh, here are my takeaways and the bullet points. We are not close to being on the path to carbon neutral in any dimension. 
no matter how you slice the, the picture up, uh, whether it's transportation, industry, agriculture, uh, we, are, we are very far away. Uh, a corollary of that is that government policies alone won't get us to carbon neutral. Again, not even close, what's discussed in the newspapers. The basic bottom line is that we need dramatic new technologies to cut the costs of delivering what humans consu uh, consume. And the private sector needs to be involved in a big way. The takeaway for investors is probably something you would have figured out anyway, which is the desire for green is leading to big demand for a variety of commodities. This is one estimate um, of the amount that might need to be required uh, for us to have an aggressive renewable energy transition program, and that's $110 trillion. I think that number is relatively fanciful um, on the high side, but even if it's a quarter of that, it's a tremendous amount of demand for the materials that go into creating more environmentally friendly technologies. You can see on the right the different commitments from different countries, which you're probably familiar with. Uh, we use this chart at VanEck to underline uh, the multidimensionality of the need to go sustainable that you're hitting not just transportation and industry, but also agriculture and land use. And to give you uh, a dimension of that, this is uh, a calculation of the amount of energy that goes into creating our food supply on the left. And you can see it is many, many, many multiples of what is consumed. So just another dimension of saying that uh, a lot needs to change for us, for the world to be uh, on a more sustainable path. So that's on the, on the demand side, uh, on agriculture. And here you have it uh, for uh, electric vehicles on the left. And what you can see is the demand for different uh, metals on the left uh, for an electric car compared to a conventional car. You can see more copper is required, graphite. Of course, you've heard of lithium um, and nickel. It's, it's orders of magnitude. So this is setting up for a great investment thesis, right? Uh, by commodities. Um, even more, that's the demand side. Let's talk about supply. So there's several frustrations when it comes to creating more supply of the materials that are needed for the energy transition. One of the dimensions here is just, we don't control it as Americans. You can see with the US in orange, many more countries need to be part of the solution when it comes to fossil fuel, move towards natural gas or, um, or here with all the minerals that are required in transportation and other electrification projects. And uh, there are countries where we may have little or no impact on the availability or the resourcing of those for our economy. Uh, China figures prominently, you see Indonesia and, um, and Congo. So, uh, so here you have another setup for uh, you know, why investments in these minerals should be attractive 
The, um, the reality also with mining, just to remind everyone, is that you can't just turn on a mine in a matter of days or weeks or months. It takes years. And so, um, again, big demand, supply constraints. So you've got demand supportive, supply supportive. Then we've got history on your side. So I won't go through all these numbers, but if you look at the right-hand side, this is completely not surprising, but when you have economic growth and inflation, resource equities and gold over here are two of the biggest and best performers, commodities sort of all as part of the same family, outperforming US uh, financial assets, stocks and bonds. And then in a higher inflationary environment, again, no surprise here whatsoever, uh, on the far right, commodities do very well. So why do I find this such a paradoxical investment area? And um, let me uh, share the next chart. So gold miners, we've been in a 10-year bear market for commodities. And uh, during that bear market, companies, commodity suppliers, whether energy companies or mining companies, became much better uh, on a capital allocation perspective. So the commodity business is unbelievably frustrating because not only do prices just go up and down, but the industry sort of causes its own problems. So as prices go up, people supply more, then there's an oversupply, then you have a multi-year bear market, and during that bear market, companies get into trouble, they need to restructure, uh, they're not profitable, and they need to deleverage. So um, what this shows is, is gold miners. Now, I call gold miners the canary in the coal mine because they were the part of the natural resources equity uh, universe that actually got the joke earlier, mainly because prices went down so much. And just to remind you, the prices of gold shares fell dramatically from 2011 to 2016. If I asked you to think about how much you think they fell, you probably would not come up with the actual number, which was they fell 90%. So there was extreme pressure on gold mining companies by 2016, and they really got in much better shape. So you can see the gray line shrank, and this is uh, their net debt compared to the S&P. So they were almost two and a half times the leverage of your average S&P company. And over the last five years, their, their net um, leverage has decreased dramatically. It, they are, they're almost debt free. Perfect. How does cash flow look? Well, cash flow is in turquoise. And with rising gold prices, cash flow has exploded to the upside and you're getting twice the uh, cash flow yield in a gold mining company than in the S&P. So for many years, natural resources companies didn't pay dividends. And one could reasonably say, well, listen, people are sick of the growth story of a fracking company or a mining company, just pay us a competitive dividend. Well, they started doing that, but there's the paradox. The stock prices have still not really reflected this new reality. So I think this is a really exciting investment opportunity, but you have this paradox of really questionable performance 
of resource equities over the last several years. And gold miners is the example I like to point to because it's the most extreme. So here you have sort of a value investment that's extremely valued. I would argue the stocks are maybe broken compared to the underlying businesses. And one has to ask oneself, are natural resource equities in some kind of permanent ESG type of ghetto where they just, they will not be revalued no matter how profitable they are? Are they the tobacco companies of the future? Uh, I still think they're worth investing in, but that's this extreme valuation paradox. So that's the first half of my story um, this afternoon. The second half is the opposite, which is extreme growth. If I asked you, um, and I'm going to talk about smart contract cryptography software, so the blockchain that you've heard about that um, applications, financial and others are built on. So if I asked you to name a smart contract protocol, Hopefully you'd come up with the name Ethereum, which is the largest by market value. And if I asked you what dollar value had been transacted over the Ethereum network, you probably guesses would range somewhere between zero and 10 trillion. And the answer would be in the middle. So you can see on the left, the value of transactions on the Ethereum network were are about you know four, over four trillion estimated for this year. I was on a panel at this very conference, and I believe it must have been 2017, where uh, one of the co-panelists was talking about the potential of blockchain and banking the unbanked. And the only thing you could do on Ethereum back then is trade CryptoKitties. Um, all of the rest was, was uh, I would say, vaporware. Well, that's absolutely dramatically no longer the case. And uh, so you can see this is probably, to me, the biggest development in 2021. I call 2021 the year of smart contract software. If you look at, um, I'll use revenues in quotes, but the transaction fees and block rewards of Ethereum uh, they're expected to be 18 billion, which a little bit goes to my second paradox point as an investor, which is these protocols and these companies are like almost every growth company extremely richly valued. The metric I use is basically about 20 times sales, which is, uh, I think, just really rich. Um, I have a about five minutes left. I'm not gonna go through every point, but very briefly why I think the crypto trends is uh, gonna dramatically affect finance is in three dimensions. So first of all, on the brokerage side, uh, you have the advantage of operating on a 24 seven instantaneous settlement basis. An instantaneous settlement doesn't just mean that you can trade more actively, but it also has dramatic risk reduction, systemic uh, characteristics. You can't have a GameStop kind of uh, Robin Hood saga when you have this kind of superior instantaneous transaction um, and secure transaction protocol. And I think that's the reason why when Coinbase uh, went public, its market valuation is higher than that of NASDAQ. On the payment side, 
you can see the growth in stable coins. Again, you have instantaneous transactions. And I think what you really have is the, the risk to the payment system. What I, you know, what I point out, even my Apple iPhone still uses um, the MasterCard or Visa payment rails. Crypto allows people to go around that and to further reduce costs. And I'll talk about that and show you a slide in a second. And then lastly, again, without going into a lot of detail, lending and borrowing online without um, some of the, the antiquated systems and paperwork of, uh, of the banking system has um, caused tremendous growth. And I think it's, it's, I guess, 56 billion as of this slide, but I think it's increased further since then. And that creates uh, investment opportunities. So this is the, sorry, this is the, um, the challenge that crypto is facing for remittances. So if you, you know, people say, Jan, what, what problem are you solving here? And, I, and I'm very clear. The problem I'm solving is when, we, when I travel to, to London and, you know, want to pay my hotel bill, the hotel or I are paying the credit card company three to, three to 4%, two to 4%, I guess, on that transaction, plus there are similar fees on the foreign currency conversion, which is just really a lot for sending money from one place to the next. With the uh, apps enabled with crypto, uh, that cost can go down. Western Union fees, which is what remittances are kind of benchmarked against, have cost somewhere between six to 10% of your $100. That means six or 10, six or $7 of your $100 is going to Western Union. That is, uh, there is a FinTech disruptor that's 90% cheaper than that and, and is gob gobbling up market share. Um, the name of that company is called Bitso, it's private. So anyway, um, you can, whoops, the, Excuse me. The um, you can see this. This is the price of Ethereum this year, which is up 300% relative to uh, to Bitcoin, uh, which is only air quotes up 50%. So you see this blockchain revolution happening. But here's the paradox that I wanted to say that we all share, which is growth companies are extremely overvalued. If you look at uh, a stock called Silvergate Bank, SI, which is in one of our ETFs. It's a great bank, it's on rails to the crypto ecosystem, but it went up 10 times last year. So it's just, it's a great growth story, but it's paradoxically very overvalued. Um, so the, the market sees this. There was a protocol trading over 25 billion, a software, a blockchain software that hadn't even gone live yet. There's no idea. Another protocol, Solana, stopped working, just like the Facebook outage of yesterday. And, uh, and then, but its market cap only fell by 15% or so. It's unbelievable. Um, so the, the valuations um, are, are really, really challenged. Um, and so here's my summary. You've got multi-year themed one is energy transition, the other is crypto disruption. They're here, they're not going away, but for investors, they're very difficult to implement. And so my, my kind of message to myself is get over it. 
value stocks may be very, very frustrating to buy right now, but just dollar cost average in. And the same with crypto stocks or, or high growth investments that could fall 30% in a month or 50% in a couple of months, dollar cost average. Uh, just, just edge into those investments uh, and, and that's the only way to make them investable. So, you know, in, in an overall sort of where we're at today, um, I think the, the world economy is fine. China's gonna be a little sloggy, uh, but the Chinese central bank will, will inject liquidity if needed. So we're constructive on global growth. Interest rates will rise, but they won't kill financial markets. Um, and here you have some, some very powerful trends that are frustrating to, to invest in. But I think the only solution is the old-fashioned dollar cost averaging. So I see Nicholas, and I see my time is up. Well, Jan, thank you very much for, uh, as always, delivering a particularly insightful presentation. Thank you very much. Uh, clearly, your industry expertise and foresight are unique. So thank you uh, for the privilege to have you with us today. It's great to be here. And if people want to follow up, just, uh, you know, just reach out to us through our website and we'll try to get the presentation shareable. Thank you very much. Thank you. Talk to you soon again. Okay. Bye-bye.